Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 to 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35,000 of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March what? Who cares? Marches never change anything.
And I found a bunch of cities uh, with a substantial uh, or noticeable African-American population. And they had billion-dollar or multi-billion-dollar income suit. Today, we're going to take a look at Detroit. Thus, today's podcast is titled Black Billions Detroit, the Rosa Park live stream, 619-768-2945. We're going to start off with, well, I guess the best way to do it is give you a clue of what I consider the Rosa Parks debacle. House was in a in um, pretty bad shape, um, and it was a very dangerous project. The, the chimney was listing, and the back wall was very damaged, and the floors were were sagging. Um, so I had to take the house apart piece by piece, and then I put them put it all in a shipping containers, um, and then shipped it over here, and then had to put them all the pieces back together. The basic question, the most fundamental question that I ask myself is, is the house worthless or is the house priceless? And for the American institutions so far, the house has been deemed worthless. For the American government so far, the house has been deemed worthless. It was put on a demolition list. That's mm-hmm. not a detail. Who, who introduced me to Rima Calling? Rima Calling, so is Rosa... Maybe it's not a coincidence that the, the, the city that is now taking into refuge this house is a city born out of a wall being broken down and the country that is so intent on building a wall up is the country that has lost this house. We're going to play a little bit more audio from Matt but The reason why I titled this podcast Black Billions Detroit, the Rosa Parks debacle, is because Rosa Parks' house, the house that she went from when she left uh, Alabama and moved to Detroit, the house that she moved into, became in disrepair. And eventually, the house was um, up for auction for $500. Detroit has at least 100 and, let's say, 160 African-American households. And even... If each one of those households on average at the poverty level for single people, matter of fact, let's look let's let's do the math on this now. A hundred and sixty thousand African American households in the city of Detroit times the poverty rate, which is twelve thousand dollars for a single person. On a poverty level rate 
which is the extreme low end. Detroit has one billion nine hundred and twenty million dollars of disposable income. Poverty level. If we take those one hundred and sixty thousand black households and multiply them by the two person poverty level threshold of twenty four thousand, the city of Detroit within black households has a minimum of three billion eight hundred and forty thousand dollars. Yet they couldn't come together and save a house for five hundred. Therefore, somebody bought it, dismantled it, and moved it over to Berlin, Germany. Before we go back to that, let's let's cover some other audio. This one's from Neely Ford. Because I used to observe that a lot of those shacks used to be by the track where black people were. With the room in the back. Yes, with the room in the back. That was a safety net. Yeah. Where black people who would move here and there and go from here and there looking for jobs, that's usually why we move, and the jobs would play out like they always did. And do. But we had a place to go when the sun went down. But now... Those shacks by the track don't exist anymore. They came and built highways right alongside of those railroad tracks where those shacks used to be, super highways. So now, if you get on a highway, you might notice that if you sometimes you are right alongside of a railroad track, you see a trains passing that as you're driving. That is true. Down a superhighway. Mm-hmm. Well, see, those highways used not to be there in the northwestern hemisphere. It used to be shacks along there. A lot of those shacks were on what we call railroad property. But the railroad people, the people that ran the railroads, didn't care much because nobody wanted to be down prime real estate. No. Nobody wanted to be by the tracks anyway. So black people used to build little shacks around there back when black people knew how to build shacks. Black people don't know how to build anything now because they used to build places for white people, but they cut them off with things called unions, took them out, took the carpentry all out of the schools and all like that. So how many black people do you know that know how to fix anything now? Hmm. It used to be thousands and millions of black people that know how to uh build a house from scratch out of old pieces of lumber. Wow. A lot of people don't remember that. Most people are not that old to have seen it done. Hmm. I coming along, I'm old enough to remember when many black people used to get together on a Saturday afternoon. That was the only time they had off or sometimes or on a Sunday sometimes after church. They would get together, six or eight of them, and go down and build what they call a shotgun house. It wasn't much, but it was a roof over your head, a good solid roof. I've been in some of those houses, raised up in some excellent solid houses that could stand a lot of storm and rain. They weren't much, just maybe three rooms. But I've been in some of them, and there were many, 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 many of them. 
But along came the white supremacists and say, these Negroes know how to build stuff. We're going to fix that so the next generation won't know how to do anything except stand in front of a place that is built and big because they won't know anything about carpentry or masonry or how to make anything with them. Was right. With over three billion dollars in black disposable income in the city of Detroit, Michigan, among African Americans alone, couldn't save the mother of civil rights her home for five hundred dollars. I wonder why. She may not be Goldilocks, but a woman makes herself right at home in a property that doesn't belong to her. Now, the homeowner wants this woman out of her house, but she's having a tough time giving the squatter the boot. Fox News' Taryn Asher live in Detroit with more on the intruder who just will not leave, Taryn. Yeah, and you know what? Um, we actually, she just came home right now, but we've been waiting to speak with her all night because the homeowner says that uh, she unlawfully walked into the house, took ownership of this house, and has been living there and refuses to leave. She just pulled up right now. And uh, before we get to our full story, ma'am, what do you have to say about that? Are you a squatter? I would like, no, I'm not. Why are you not a squatter? Uh, I would like to park my vehicle if you don't mind. Well, I, we would like to know because this woman says you moved in and you won't leave and she owns this well, house. I'll tell you my credentials. It's, you know, why I'm here. Uh, she I says that you said this was part of a program. Lien. I have, yes, I have a construction lien for the repairs that I put into the house. Uh, someone had broken into the house on July the 4th and they stripped through the radios, radiators and I made a report. But she said that you broke into this house and oh, you no. have been living here oh, no. because you said here. that you have the right to live yeah, here. I've been with her since uh, October 9, 2012. And then in February 2011, she we had to vacate because the boiler was damaged. The only thing I took, I owned Little Egypt Publishing Company. I took all my books and my writings. All right, well, time, she, but my furnitures were still left in here. One more, one, one more thing. She also said that you said that this was part of a program that you felt that anybody who can go into Detroit, take over an abandoned house, and live there. Well, I'm an advocate for affordable housing. That's a part of my campaign as a U.S. writing. Did you say that to her, and do you believe that? Well, I believe that since I met her, the first time I met her when I was running for state senate, 2010, and she was also running for political office. That was a part of my belief. I signed an oath pledging that I okay. would fight for affordable homes. All right, well, ma'am, maybe we can talk to you about this a little bit more in a moment. There's a lot to this story. Take a look what the homeowner had to say about this. You can't get any houses like this anywhere in America, especially for this price. Heidi Peterson always dreamed of living in an historical home. In May of 2010, she bought this one in Detroit's Boston Edison District for $23,000. After being away for a year, she returned home last week and realized she got way more than she bargained for. I told her it was my house. She says a woman was living in her house, the one who put her pictures on the mantle. Heidi learned from neighbors she'd been living there for a few months. Heidi claims the squatter changed the locks, reworked the plumbing, replaced her appliances, put a lien on the house, and even changed the curtains. And now this squatter won't leave. She locked the door, so... So now they are forced to sleep one room away from each other. Heidi with her one-year-old daughter. People would find this odd that you're living with a squatter. I, that's, I guess, 
something that happens in Detroit. An unusual situation and, as we discovered, not your average squatter. Her name documented all over the house, missionary Tracy Elaine Blair, a write-in candidate for president. Do you feel safe? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what the capabilities are. We're afraid of, of her mindset of entitlement. A squatter doesn't have a legal right to the property, but under the law, the homeowner cannot remove a squatter by force. In most cases, the homeowner has to file a civil action in court, prove it's their property, and evict the squatter. That's what Heidi is trying to do. She thinks that this is a program in Detroit to take people's homes and fix them up and then she gets to keep them. Because Heidi spent all of her money on this house, she says she can't afford to go anywhere else. And until she can legally kick the woman out, they are forced to live under the same roof. I thought, if the house is not safe, how can I come here with my child? There's an issue with that. But should I lose my house to a squatter because I don't have rights to my property or should I fight to get it back? And Heidi also claims that things have come up missing in her house, that it's certainly not the way that she left it. But, of course, you heard the woman, the supposed uh, squatter here, and she claims that there was a lease. Heidi said there was not. We have not been able to see see that, but she also says that she has the right to be able to live here if she fixes up the home. So there is clearly a lot to the story, and this is a perfect example why police don't go in when they're called and just remove someone from the house because they don't have that proof on who actually lives in the house. And that's why, like in this case, the woman has to go to court, get uh, an order of eviction, and uh, show prove that she owns the house, and then evict the woman that lives there. So, and it, that's why there is a legal process, and uh, it would take 30 days to get her out. So clearly there is a lot to this story. Uh, we would like to take a look at that lease, and we plan to um, after we send it back to you. All right, Taryn, so we know why the police won't get involved in this kind of thing. What about attorneys? i got to believe it's very difficult for either one of them to get an attorney because they're cash-strapped in the first place, which is why they're living under the same roof. Well, yes, Heidi told us that she can't afford an attorney. She put everything into this house, um, and uh, right now she can't even afford to move anywhere, let alone pay for legal fees. But she said she needs one because she there's no reason why there should be a lien against the property. In fact, that lien is in that woman's name, the, uh, the supposed squatter here. So a lot of this stuff happening while she was gone. She said when she returned home, you know, there was a lot of changes to this house, stuff that she did not approve. So it sounds like it's going to be quite a legal battle and uh you're right she wishes she could afford a, an attorney right now back to you all right taryn asher reporting to today's podcast once again is set of black billions detroit the rosa parks debacle now you just heard an audio of something that's pretty rampant not only in detroit but a lot of cities in the united states but today we're talking about detroit because in detroit African-Americans in Detroit have over $3.8 billion. And that's that, that's on the two-person poverty line, so they have a lot more than $3.8 billion. But I'm going to put it at $3.8 billion disposable income, at least that. And you got people breaking into other people's house to take over their house. Now, that's not everybody. But it is a problem. Now, let's go back to taking a look at that. At, at the same time this went on with this lady, 
breaking into another person's house. Squat. Rosa Parks' house was available for $500. It's in Berlin, Germany. Now, it might be back in the United States now, but what's interesting is about the Rosa Parks house, it got down to, it was up on the city auction block for five, only $500. With $3.8 billion in black disposable income, I can't see why. They didn't, somebody didn't get together and get this house. And it ends up in Berlin, Germany. 1936. I am the niece of Rosa Parks, and this is the home, the safe haven she traveled to after her escape from the South. Let me remind everybody of this. In the South, on the average, every three days, a black person was lynched from 19... 15 to 1955. So it wasn't, a fair, never mind the economy, it wasn't a good place to live. And of course, Rosa Parks had to worry about her safety in America's South. So this is the story of America, this house. It's the story of Detroit, this house. And it's the story of the great Rosa Parks. She was in exile within her own country. Uh, and it's a very strange thing to think about, that you could be in exile within your own country. But that's the way it was after the bus boycott. She had no job, and she was not welcome anymore. She was receiving death threats. And it's, it's a strange parallel to what's going on now with this house that doesn't have uh, a place. It doesn't have, it's a house without a home, and it continues to be without a home. This is a really bittersweet moment. It's at the same time a celebration as well as it is a farewell. This is a show that will take place for a one day only. And it won't be of the completed house as I had wished. It's interesting that the, the, the show is supposed to be called Unfinished Business and I wasn't even able to complete the rebuild of the house. What the house stands for now is the state of affairs that America's in. Because from our perspective, we did everything right. We brought her from Berlin. We have a message of hope for the next generation and beyond. And all that was laid, just laid to waste. How did Rosa Parks' house, now we, we know the technical part of it, you know, it, her niece tried to raise money for the house uh, to, you know, to rehabilitate the house. That didn't happen. So an artist uh, that read about the story, uh, I think in uh, uh, something like the New York Times, something like that, he got in touch with her and bought the house, transported the house over to Detroit. That whole audio you just heard was from Berlin, Germany. In front of the house. What's even mind blowing is that in Washington D.C., the African American Museum. You know what? I might not even go even visit that place now. I mean, I've walked past and driven past because I'm from D.C., but I don't even know if I'm gonna walk in in it now. They refused to take the house. They didn't even want it. 
There's something wrong with that picture. Anyway, back to more Rosa Parks in the commentary of the house, which uh, was in, on tour in, 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 in Berlin, Germany. Nestled among Berlin's apartment blocks, the home of an American civil rights icon. This house was moved from Detroit, where Rosa Parks lived after her act of defiance helped end the segregation laws in America's South. It was 1955 when the seamstress on her way home from work refused to give up her seat for a white passenger. Little did she know it would make her a face of the civil rights movement. So when a Berlin-based artist discovered her home was to be demolished, he had it transported to Germany, piece by piece. This house really belongs uh, in the United States. It doesn't belong here. Um, but because it is here, more people will have the opportunity to, th to think about why it was that the house was put on the demolition list to begin with. So America uh, lost this house, and America has to do something powerful in order to get it back. Ryan Mendoza was given the house by the niece of Rosa Parks, who could not raise the money for its preservation. He paid $13,000 to have it transported and rebuilt. She defied the odds, and she defied injustice. Parks was honored and celebrated later in life, but decades earlier she had to flee to the house after receiving death threats in Alabama. Her refusal to give up her seat led to a long boycott of the bus system organized by Martin Luther King. Each little nook and cranny, each part of the board where you see is worn by weather, you know, uh, to me shows her personality and what she went through as a beautiful woman, as a smart woman, as a courageous woman. This is who she was on the inside. Given her place in history, Ryan Mendoza would like Rosa Parks' house to go on tour across Europe, but he hopes eventually it can be returned to its rightful place in the United States. Duncan Golastani, Al I don't understand it. Now, there are other national treasures that are sitting out there. I, I like the matter of fact, to do some homework on them because I want to take a road trip. I want to find out. What happened to the uh, Moles Wright, the uncle of, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, oh, God, name's right on tip my tongue. Uh, Moles Wright, um, who's uncle of, uh, got young boy that got lynched at uh, 14 years of age, 14, 15 years of age. Um, in Money, Alabama, or near Money, Alabama. I'd like to find out what happened to uh, that particular house. Um, matter if they want to plan a road trip down there for that. Um, but, uh, like I say, the city of Detroit, the African-American community, if you want to call it that, over $3.8 billion in disposable income and couldn't come up with the money to house from getting the model. So an artist got the house 
packed it up in a container, shipping container, and it went on display in Berlin, Germany. I I know there was some talk of getting it back to the United States, but it wasn't African Americans that were organizing that. Thus, I call it the Rosa Parks debacle. Like that's just one house. There are many other houses. Um. That if we don't take care of it, you don't have any right to complain. 314, your mic is open. You know, uh, how you doing today? Good, good, good. When Rosa lost her job down south, I think she stayed with E.D. Nixon. His grandson, I know very well, is Lionel Nixon up there in Chicago. He was here in St. Louis for a while. He's not that old, neither. And he could probably tell a lot of story along those lines. Now, as far as his house is concerned, you're absolutely right. I hear all this hoop and holler and liking to quote Rosa Parks in the blame game, but when it comes down to putting substance, it's not there. It's the same way when you have some of these these scholars, quote-unquote scholars, when they die, you have to pass a collection plate around in order to bear them. Right. So I, and I can name a lot of them. Uh, even Chancellor Williams. Uh, I think George G.M. James was killed. George Jackson. Uh, Dr. Ben was a civil engineer, and he spent time doing what he'd done away from that, and he ended up in a nursing home. So a lot is said, but very little is done. And then again, you got to ask, like you asked the question, why is this? Why do these things go on like this? Well, it's hard to say, but I come down to the contention as I've always do, the all blacks are not the same. To well, some, a few, that these, what you mentioned about uh, Rosa Parks' house, and there's another house up there in Philadelphia. I think it's Paul Robeson's, but I'm not sure. That's also going through the same calamity. Uh, you got those that care about it, and you got those who don't, because they figure that it has nothing to do with them. That's the only logical explanation that I can give. You give one better than that? No, and that, I was like say the, um, you know, when Rosa Park passed, uh, they brought her body to D.C. Uh, and, and placed it, uh, like what they call it, proposed in the uh, state retirement. house uh, in state. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went by. Well, boy, I, did, I had to. I thought I was getting there early. Well, I guess I was compared to others. There were people there that were like there beginning like a day ahead of time. Um and you had no place, you know, you had you had it wasn't you had you had to be on a part of the mall and all this other stuff. So I got I, I got there at a relatively decent time to get a space but I I'm glad I got there when I got there because the line was just you couldn't see the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But now bring it up to bring this up. Now at that time, the African American museum had not been built yet. All right. So I'm, I'm Which just, one? Oh, you mean the one in Washington D.C.? The one in Washington D.C. I'm amazed okay. that they did not take this house and put it on display. Well, I agree you know, with you. That's part of the Smithsonian. That's part of the Smithsonian network, I believe. But, and it's uh, ended up way in Germany. Yeah, in Germany. I, I, you know, it, now had I known about it, I mean, five hundred dollars is a whole lot. Granted, you're going to need a whole lot more to bring the property up to code. But the resources that you have in Detroit, because the the uh, the, Wy- the Winans family, they have a church in Detroit. And that, that's not even the biggest black church in Detroit. So Detroit has a lot of disp- black disposable income. I just don't. I don't Either that or they waiting on whites to do it for them. And that that's the case a lot of times. We jump on the bandwagon after the fact. Try to renovate our neighborhood. You got the... Uh... You got a lot of books. By the time we do that, we can't afford to move back in the neighborhood. Carter G. Wilson books. books uh, his books is held by a white person, a white Jew. Uh, I can't think of his name. It'll come to me, hopefully. But uh, Now, here's how several years ago, probably 20 years ago or so, that went up for us. Um, but they, they happen to say that. But uh, I don't know who owns, I mean, he has control of the house now. But yeah, this Jew's name is August. Yeah, there are others, and I'm. I guess I might make this a little mini side hobby of mine, just to find out what has happened to some of these houses with some high-profile people. And then you brought up another good point: some of these high-profile academics and intellectuals. You know, you had to raise money to bury them, or you know, put them in a nursing home, and you know. Nursing homes are not cheap. You know, they're not. I, I, I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus' house was around, they'd let that crumble down to the ground. But anyway, man, I'd pull back and listen. <laughs> okay. All right. Today we're talking about Black Billions, Detroit, the Rosa Parks debacle. This, this, and we might do a whole week on Black Billions because uh, we had a call on Friday. Yeah, Friday. You mentioned that in, in St. Louis, Missouri, that the disposable income of black folks there. And that city was uh, $2 billion. So you, I looked it up correct. It's probably more than that. Then I started looking at some other cities uh, and even counties where, you know, there might be towns like Silver Spring, Maryland, that had, a, you know, somewhat of a substantial Black population, not a majority black population, but a substantial one. And, you know, it's a half billion in places like that. So you want to take a look at those, 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 because uh, that's two billion dollars. And now in Detroit, what I did was I took the I, I took the number of black households. Okay. Reduced it. I reduced it down to 160,000. 160 black house. There are more than 160,000 black households in Detroit. 
I reduced it down to 160 because I want to have conservative numbers. And then I took the poverty line here in the United States for a single household as well as a two-person household. For a single household, it's about a little bit over 12000 a year, but I reduced it down to 12000 That's That's $1,000 a month for one person. And for two people, 24000 So at the two-person household level, it's over $3.8 billion in the city of Detroit. On a single household level, it's uh, over $1.8 billion. That's at poverty. Now, it's it's more than that. It's like, more accurately, um, let's see, 160,000, which is more than 160,000 black households in Detroit, times 15,000 per household, that's over $2.4 billion. So I'm just, once again, had I, once again, had I found out about it, because I'm sure a lot of people did, because you only take one. I would have came up with $500 on this one, but I I didn't know. That's why I want to make this a, a, a little side hobby so I can, because there's other things on the horizon and available right now, I'm sure. But um, before I go to the next caller, because this is like, see, it's totally mind boggling. The African American music, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to set foot in the place now. I don't know. But because uh, they turned it away. We're going to go to a little practical morning motivation, no more than two minutes from Steve Harvey. And then um, go to the phone lines again. Okay, here's the deal. If you want to be successful, here's the thing you have to do. You have to jump. There is no way around it. You have to to jump. Every successful person has jumped. You got to jump. You got to take a leap of faith. You got to dash off that cliff and you got to jump out there as far as you can. Now, a lot of times you stand on the cliff of life and you see other people soaring by, gliding down like a bird flying through the air. You know, they're going over to the south of France. You see them on a boat somewhere. You see their family vacationing here, their family vacationing there. You see them dressing like this. You see them in New York, then you see them in London. They flying by. You know why? It's because they parachute open. But the only way to get your parachute to open so you can soar, you got to jump. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem, my friend. When you jump, I can assure you one thing. You listening? I promise you this. Your parachute will not open right away. No. That's the fear part. I promise you, your parachute will not open right away. You're going to hit them sides and them rocks. You're going to tear your back out on them cliffs. You're going you're gonna to cut yourself. You're going to get wounded. You're going to get some tears and stuff like that. But eventually, the parachute will open and you'll be sold. But here's the other caveat. Let me teach you this right here. If you do not jump, I promise you one thing. Your parachute will never open. So you say, 
you will never sow. You got to jump. Black Billions Detroit, the Rosa Parks debacle, out of 160,000-plus households in Detroit. Out of God knows. You know, I'm, I'm going to put the church population at Detroit at at least 500. I know it's probably double or triple A, but at least 500. How it, and I know that Rosa Parks was niece. I know she had to go to one or two, one or two churches. I, I, they don't even have to be mega A couple of st- aid storefront had five hundred dollars. Where's the? You know, Steve Harvey. We got to jump. I'm sure she jumped, but and that's how the story got into a New York newspaper, and this artist came from Michigan, came to Michigan, got the house, and got it Berlin. It, it, there's a whole lot of disconnects here. Anyway, 410, what say you? Uh, good morning, Brother L.A., and good morning, uh, Pianchi. How y'all doing this morning? Um, we're good. All right. Look, um, you know, Last week when I gave you that information, yes, uh, we're sitting on now, top of a gold. You to give me that information because I had a good time this weekend. I looked up cities like Baltimore, then counties where I know they had, you know, some towns they had, you know, a significant black population. Not, you know, not even over fifty percent, but it was the, the numbers were staggering at the amount of money that blacks had. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And the thing is, I did a presentation in uh, Baltimore when I was living there, and uh, seventy-five cents out of every dollar in that city, and within this uh, inner city, uh, within the city itself, goes through black hands. At that time, it was six billion dollars that uh, blacks generated in Baltimore alone. But you know, uh, all of this stuff is on the census. You know, when you were talking about Detroit, uh, I looked at the census, and I don't know if that's where you went at to get your information, but in the in Detroit city alone, it's eight point three billion dollars um, oh, in that that's city. That's what I did. What I took. I'm glad you brought that figure out. What I did for this is well, I'll, I'll be doing it all with. I took conservative numbers. I, I, yeah. I reduced the number of households because there are more than 160 black households in Detroit, and then I, I used the poverty the poverty level line, and mm-hmm. I, went, I got really really conservative. But you're right; there's at least eight billion that we got. That's just in Detroit. So I'm just saying, that's just even with the 1.8, where's the 500 dollars? Yeah. Exactly. Just in Detroit alone, black earnings is... Uh, now, that's not counting food stamps. That's not counting Social Security, because you could probably get more out of that. But the thing is, just right. earnings alone is $8.3 billion. And uh, I went a step further. I went to the uh, the county, Detroit's in Wayne County, and right. 
Wayne County has black earnings at $11.2 billion. And if you go to the Detroit, Warren, Warren County, Dearborn, Michigan metropolitan, metropolitan area, according to the census, blacks' earnings is $18 billion a year. Now, this was in 2016. It's probably more than that now, more or less. No, I'm sure but more than you that know now. what? Yeah. yeah, but you know what? That's the sad part of what's going on with us. We don't know what we got, number one. Number two is if you don't have an identity, this is what happens to you. You These things are not important to you. And that goes right to Ms. Donna Barroso Parks. Now, I bet you she attended some church in that community, no doubt about it. And the there thing is, I bet, I, I bet you some of those in that community, every Black History Week, uh, every Black History Month, they had her speaking at some of those engagements. And the thing is, to right. think that they didn't see the need or see the importance of keeping her dwelling place up to par. And look, giving her a pension. You know, all of those churches alone could have gave her a pension and made her live, had her living like a queen. And Brother Pianca said it best. We enjoy these scholars like Carter G. Woodson and uh, Chancellor Williams, Dr. Ben, uh, Dr. John Henry Clark, and all of them. We enjoy going to their and, and look, listening to their videos and looking at their videos. But the thing is, you can't get us together to do what's right. So my thing is, I see why preachers do what they do, because we don't honor our warriors. We don't honor our heroes. And when a black person takes a stand, nine times out of ten, it's life-threatening. You know, you can just get up on TV and just voice your concerns about police brutality, and I swear to God, the next thing you know, you got some threatening phone calls, and you just got on TV, on the radio, and voiced your concerns about the condition of your people. So... When you look at these figures and everything, it shows you the lack of leadership, number one, the lack of awareness, and it shows you how complete the brainwashing really is in our minds. Uh, the thing is, if, if I, I had a, a presentation one time with some young kids, and I told them if a Korean can travel 11,000 miles, and put up a storefront store in your community, and they can't speak English. And the education, they might have a, a decent education, but the thing is, when they come in your community, they can get together and put their nickels and dimes together and put up a store and, and go, and you're, one, you're their main customer base. That says a lot about us. Now, we can put our money together to get some crack, or get a kilo of cocaine. That shows you we have the capacity to generate funds to do things for ourselves. But when you're misled and miseducated, you automatically try and gravitate to the wrong thing because the wrong people have the wrong influence on your mind. And that's basically what's happening here. When you look at this kind of money. And, and I, you know what I think you hit? Matter of fact, I know you hit the nail on the head and drove it because the only – no, that's the, the only thing that makes sense to me that 
we have been miseducated on a mass level to, I mean, really miss the, I mean, this Rosa Parks is just one person. Um, yeah. Missed the boat like that. And and look, but I'm going to end on this The African American Museum, the African American Museum, I mean, mind boggling why they didn't do Well, Brother L.A., that's, that's one of the things that leads to the your miseducation. America not, is not interested in someone that bucked at bucked the status quo and won. That's a bad taste in their mouth that Rosa Parks was able, able to generate and, and unite enough people to go ahead and defeat a, 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 a component of white supremacy. They don't want you to know that you have the power to make a change. And that is one reason why they probably didn't put that that house in the museum. If you notice, people that really have made a, a difference in the black community is not shown in your history books, nor are they mentioned like the Marcus Garvey's, the Elijah Muhammad's, and the Booker T. Washington. Yeah, he was such a giant carrot, a figure that they could not ignore him. But you don't hear a lot of people talk about Booker T. Washington because he was able to make a difference in our community. Now, if you talk, if you want to hear about some heroes, it's the one that whites really want you to know about, someone that uh, was a champion of integration or someone of their choosing that they picked to lead our people in the wrong direction. And that's what you mostly have. So, you know, I, it's not well, strange to me why they... When it ever, comes to Washington, D.C., now when it comes to Washington, D.C., on the mall, you've got a, a statue of uh, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. But, like you say, Rosa Parks, but but the system of white supremacy, and her house is not on display at that that African American Museum in D.C. No, Mm-mm. and I get off and let someone else talk. Uh, I'm listening in this morning. No, okay. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Beasley. Today's podcast is titled Black Billions Detroit, the Rosa Parks debacle. And this was uh, once again inspired. As a matter of fact, the guy that just got off, uh, Connie Beasley, he gave us a statistic Friday that in the city of St. Louis, Missouri, that they have over, black folk have over a $2 billion disposable income. And uh, earlier we played um, the Rosa Parks house was up for demolishment some years ago for $500. And uh, the story got in the paper and the house uh, was picked up by uh, a white person and they transported it to Berlin, Germany, where the house was uh, put back together as much as possible. And on display, and I guess it went on too. Now, I understand uh, last year some other foundation here in the United States, not black, purchased the house and for it to come for it to come back to the United States. But it wasn't a, a it was not an African American. If it has been done, it, it wasn't uh, at the hands in the hands of African Americans. Um. Because that house could have been, I'm just thinking, 
Well, let me, I'm going to play a piece by Neely Fuller and, and tie it into this. Uh, this piece is what I call um, something that was cultural here in the United States in the black community, but has disappeared. Because I used to observe that a lot of those shacks used to be by the track where black people were. With the room in the back. Yes, with the room in the back. That was a safety net. Yeah. Where black people who would move here and there and go from here and there and looking for jobs, that's usually why we move, and the jobs would play out like they always did. And do. But we had a place to go when the sun went down. But now those shacks by the track don't exist anymore. They came and built highways right alongside of those railroad tracks where those shacks used to be, super highways. So now, if you get on a highway, you might notice that if you, sometimes you're right alongside of a railroad track, you see a trains passing as you're driving. That is true. Down a super highway. Mm -hmm. Well, see, those highways used not to be there in the northwestern hemisphere. It used to be shacks along there. A lot of those shacks were on what we call railroad property. But the railroad people, the people that ran the railroads, didn't care much because nobody wanted to be down. That wasn't prime real estate. Nobody wanted to be by the tracks anyway. So black people used to build little shacks around there back when black people knew how to build shacks. Black people don't know how to build anything now because they used to build places for white people, but they cut them off with things called unions, took them out, took the carpentry all out of the schools and all like that. So how many black people do you know that know how to fix anything now? It used to be thousands and millions of black people that know how to build a house from scratch out of old pieces of lumber. Wow. A lot of people don't remember that. Most people are not that old to have seen it done. Hmm. I coming along, I'm old enough to remember when many black people used to get together on a Saturday afternoon. That was the only time they had off, or sometimes, or on a Sunday sometimes after church. They would get together, six or eight of them, and go down and build what they call a shotgun house. It wasn't much, but it was a roof over your head, a good solid roof. I've been in some of those houses, raised up in some, all right? They were excellent, solid houses. They could stand a lot of storm and rain. They weren't much, just maybe three rooms. But I've been in some of them. And there were many, 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 many of them. But along came the white supremacists and say, these Negroes know how to build stuff. We're going to fix that so the next generation won't know how to do anything except stand in front of a place that is built and big because they won't know anything about carpentry or masonry or how to make anything with them. And today in 2018, going into 2019, by the hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but tens of thousands, globally, you have the majority of white folks, with a few other people, black, Asian, whatever, 
that are doing the tiny house. This is shotgun houses, tiny houses, same thing. That's why I played the clip earlier of the squatters in Detroit. Matter of fact, the squatter that I had in my house, which some of you have heard about a gazillion times, her father was a contractor. Her brother-in-law was a contractor. And her brother-in-law's brother is a contractor. Three, actually, look, why don't you have them build your house because she was an administrative assistant, secretary. She can run a business. I said, they can build your house, you'd be debt-free, and y'all can make a bunch of money building houses. I wasn't even talking about tiny houses. She was, her mom was so wrapped into using the system of entitlement that I was I, I was basically talking to the wind. But that's okay. Because now I'm in that position. Let's go to our next caller. Uh Black Billions, we have a lot of money and Connie Beasley's right. We had now today we're just talking about Detroit. He pointed out because I was super conservative with my three point eight billion. It's more like $8 billion plus in the city of Detroit of disposable income that black folks have. That does not, as, as Connie stated, that does not include EBT and stuff like that. If you get into Wayne County, it's in excess of $11 billion that's in the hands of African Americans. We shouldn't have any excuses. And that's just one small geographical area in the United States. Four oh seven, your mic is open. Uh, good morning, LA. It's Beata with Soul Purpose Healing, Blog Talk Radio, and the Female Solution Health and Wellness. And um, while I was listening to that man, who was that speaking, by the way? The last one, Neely Fuller Jr. Okay, I was just thinking about how my grandfather built his house, and we spent a lot of time in his house. And when I look back on how simple that house was, it was probably, um, it would have been considered a tiny house, but it was probably about 400 square feet. And I just think about the, the, the skill that my grandfather had that's lost now, like he said. So it's just become so important for us to train children now. Forget about this generation that wants to wear uh, three-piece suits and high heels to the work because they're not going to be out there hammering until they, they have suffered or lost their job or they're getting, you know, serious situation. But we really have to focus on training the children and giving them a new mindset and a new uh, intention in this journey on earth to really get those skills back, the building things. Because we lost that totally. It's like I, I feel like well, I'm, I have to make up for that loss. I agree with you 100% that we, we do need to set up something to teach, teach the children. But there also, as we speak, there's a lot of baby boomers out there struggling. Because we have uh, a lot of people at the, at the Salvation Army dormitories 
men's shelters, women's shelters. We're talking about baby boomers. Grandparents. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. They're not going to have the desire to learn these skills until they get in the homeless situation. So, yeah, we've got to be right along with those children learning these skills. Those of us who are ready for those who are serious, who are homeless, don't have anything else. We got to be right along, learning these skills with the children, the next generation. That's what I mean. Right, right. You're right. It's like I'm, uh, I'm glad that, that. What do you suggest? We start kitty camps that teach people how to build, teach kids how to build. Start it's like whatever. Projects, like, uh, you know how to build build a bird house, a dog house, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, all of that. We we who are conscious of the need, the lack that is in our communities, we need to start those type of schools. Our school system is totally broken, in my opinion. They're not teaching them these important skills. There was a time when young people were learning how to fix cars. They don't even know how to do that now. So we have to create a whole new school system of the skills that are survival skills first, and then the other the other skills that they might be interested in. But it seems like in kindergarten on up, uh, the first elementary grades, we ought to be teaching these children some survival skills. Yeah, you're right. Gardening. Yes, gardening, house building. It can start off with something like thing. crafts, like birdhouses, doghouses, dollhouses. And you know what they're doing? They're handing these young people computers when they're in in kindergarten and first grade. They're sitting them in front of a computer instead of getting them outside learning how to garden and build things. Right. Right. So it's kind of crazy. With the Rosa Parks house, because when they transported this thing over to uh, the house over to Germany, Berlin, Germany, they they had like teenagers or young people working on that house. Because you can teach right. history lessons in that house. You can teach uh, carpentry, ge- geometry. There's a whole lot of things that can be learned when you you know by just putting together her house. So, but like I say, there there are, I'm sure there are other houses or that are of prominent people that are that are out there. We just had to you know, call a name and find. You know, because I like I said, I want to go. To, I want to find out what happened to Moe's Wright's house. Emmett Till, that's the name I couldn't think of earlier. The uncle of Emmett Till, because, you know, after that trial was over with, the house that uh, Emmett visited, because he was only there four days when that whole thing went down on him. So I'd like to find out what mm-hmm. happened to that house. I know it was on, they had, his uncle had control of 25 acres. He didn't own it, but he controlled it, and he had the cash. But I like to go, and it's near Money, Mississippi, for my reasons. But, you know, so I'm sure there could be another house, but like you said, that's a very good idea. And um, um, yeah, we need to put that on on a a higher priority. We're going to end this part. Even I want to just say this the name of your show is My House. Is like a multi-level um, expression of of the times we're in because it's my house could be you personal, but it's also like the universe speaking to us uh, this generation that it's my house and you are the stewards of my house. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So thank you for the show. Yeah, thank you for the show. Um, Learning a lot. Have a good day. Okay, thank you. And we're going to end today's podcast with um, Steve Harvey. Just a little motivation on if you think you need a million dollars, just work with the $10 you got. So when people try to figure out how to make a million dollars, they have no idea how daunting that is. Because if you know how to make a million dollars, you're going to make it tomorrow. But since you can't figure out how to a million dollar idea, you go somewhere and sit down. That's the wrong approach. If you apply your gift, your God-given gift that he gave you, you have millions already at your disposal. If you break it down inch by inch into things and cents for the 10 by 10 theory, which is very simple. You don't need a million-dollar idea. You need a $10 idea. You need something that you do, your gift that God gave you to make $10. That's all you got to be able to know. I don't care if it's cutting hair, cutting somebody's grass, washing somebody's car. I don't care if it's mowing somebody's lawn. I don't care if it's driving people to their destinations. I don't care if it's babysitting. I don't care if it's baking cookies or pie. You have some braiding somebody's hair. You have something that you can do so well that someone will give you $10 for it. Write my paper for me. Do this for me. Somebody give you $10 for it. Once they give you $10, all you got to do is whatever you did to get that 10 do it 10 more times. You now, my friend, have $100. You have $100 simply because you took a $10 idea and you did it 10 times. Well, guess what? If you take that $100 that you made since you've done it 10 times and you do it 10 more times, I got news for you, my friend. You now have $1,000. $1,000, you make $1,000, guess what all you got to do? You got to multiply that effort again. Do whatever you did to do $1,000, do it 10 more times. My friend, you now have $10,000. You got $10,000 now. Imagine if you was making an extra 10000 a month. Just imagine if you was making an extra $10,000 a month. That's $120,000 a year. But I got news for you, my friend. Whatever you did, whatever you did, whatever it took to make yourself $10,000, all you got to do is do it 10 more times. 10 more times, my friend. You now have $100,000. I got news for you now. If you can make $100,000, you're just a step away from being a millionaire, man. Because now you hire a few more people to help you out that that you can do portions of what you do so you can duplicate that effort. And one more time, just one more time, do it ten times. Man, that sounds hard. It is hard. But what else you got to do? What, you going to stop at the 100000 all you got to do is duplicate your efforts by 10. You duplicate your efforts by 10, 10 times 100,000. Welcome to the club, my friends. You are now a millionaire. Congratulations. You became a millionaire with a $10 idea. So stop trying to stop bogging yourself down trying to figure out how to make a million. Do what you can do to make $10 and then do the 10 by 10 theory. Inch by inch, anything's a t- cinch. Now, here's the joyful part. Along the way, when you was down here making 20000 
but you did right here, and now all of a sudden you're making 30000 Now you're making 100000 But on the way to duplicating that times 10, you may stop along in here at 250000 you got making a quarter of a million dollars a year. That's way better than that 20000 you had when you started. So there's joy in the process. Your life is actually a lot richer at two It'll become even more richer at a half a million. It becomes even richer than that at three-quarters of a million, $750,000. If you don't get to the million, man, you're going to trip because you're making $900,000 a year? No, you're going to be happy. What, you don't make the million, so you only make a $700,000 a year? You can't find happiness in $7,000? Something wrong with you, man. There's joy in the process. That's how you make a million dollars.